An interesting thing that we've started to do is we've started to talk about data protection. So rather than having a separate conversation about cybersecurity, data governance, privacy, risk management, records and archives, we're sort of bundling all that under the notion of data protection because they're really all risk functions that, that look to protect data. So that's how we're framing it now. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. We'll have a panel now, a presentation, and then it's roundtable. So back to back to chatting and then lunch, which will be um, obviously more more networking and connecting, which will be great. So we um, will jump straight into the panel, and which um, this panel is around maximizing the productivity of the data-led enterprise with self-serve comes great responsibility. Uh, so it's been in the themes that we've been discussing uh, between yesterday and today. Um, obviously, it's an aim that we all aspire that that all of our organizations aspire to is is to provide this self-serving and um, and obviously we're here because we want to be building products like data products. And we have uh, three gate, uh, great panelists to help us uh, uncover sort of the, the thoughts and the mysteries around this space. So please welcome to the stage. We have uh, Kate Carruthers. She's a Chief Data and Insights Officer at UNSW Sydney. We got Connor O'Neill, who's the Head of Data Science at Compare the Market. He presented yesterday. And we have Arvi Manog. She is the Enterprise Systems Data and Information Management and Integration at EG Australia. Please welcome Kate, Connor, and Arvi. Okay, and um, as as usual, we will be using a Slido. So please make sure that you share your questions through Slido. Make sure you give some some curly ones for these panelists. They're all high caliber, high talent, so they're um, got lots of good insights, and they can definitely handle the tough and controversial questions. So don't don't hold back. Um, we um, so the idea is to to talk about uh, maximizing productivity of the organization looking at what self-service can bring, uh, how do we get kind of the, the community of users going within the organization? Um, so any so any and all questions linked to that. Um, Kate, I'm gonna start with you around, what do you see as some of the best practices uh, and what has worked well in empowering users, uh, non-technical users, uh, to move them into this self-service world? I, th I think for us, um that it's been really important to uh, protect the users because they don't know what they don't know. So one of the things that we've done is we work in an encrypted bubble. We only give data um, data that they have a data sharing agreement for, uh, that they're permitted to have. And we're only just now starting to um, sort of democratise access to our data 
So letting people, you know, view the, the data and drag and drop it. So we've um, done a lot of uh, dashboards and reporting over the last couple of years since we moved to our new cloud platform. Uh, and one of the big value propositions for that is, is that it is secure and nobody has to worry about security. Uh, and, you know, now that, every, now that most people have been breached, Med, thank you, Medibank, thank you, Optus. Um, yeah, I was in both. Uh, we, we're really quite conscious of it now, but we've always been conscious of it since we started doing this in 2018. And uh, we, we've, what we've found is that we've got people in the business who think they know what they're doing with their data who don't, and we need, really need to protect them from their, themselves. Uh, so we've got all the data in our data lake, it's all protected, and um, we're implementing a data governance tool that will allow data consumers to access data on the fly. I really like that you, you start with the protection, um, protecting the, the, the users. I think it's, it's a, a really important component that as we, as we seek to empower them and enable them, that, that, they, um, that we do give them good guardrails to protect them and the organization more broadly. And I've definitely seen um, cases where uh, people um, have kind of like worked the, the system. Um, for example, in my organization recently, a, a guy I left and he was, um, he, a business user wrote a, a script to get a, a privilege elevation on for his account every every morning, and it just ran at seven a.m. and then he had privilege elevation for the whole data warehouse in kind of like god mode for like four hours, and then it ran again at lunchtime. I was like, "What?" <laughs> so anyway, I think I think that's that's sorry. Yeah, we that wouldn't happen at our place. But but an interesting thing that we've started to do is we've started to talk about data protection. So rather than having a separate conversation about cybersecurity, data governance, privacy, risk management, records and archives, we're sort of bundling all that under the notion of data security, data protection, because they're really all risk functions that, that look to protect data. So that's how we're framing it now. That's really nice. Yeah, thank you. And um, Arvi, from your side, how, how have you seen uh, what have you seen worked well and what have you seen some of the, the challenges around enabling the self-service users to, um, to, well, to, to look after themselves? Well, firstly, look, um, maybe I'll answer the first. best practices as well first yeah. and then challenges. So from a best practice perspective, what I did was um, I changed the culture of the organization. So I changed their views on how they interact with data, how they make decision making, etc. And by and that, that is by um, putting in a an operating model, an operating model on how they could, you know, work within themselves like self service, and then work with us at the same time. So I call it the COE squared, the um, the merge of you know center of excellence and center of enablement kind of thing and then i provide them with tools and guidelines so same as with kate you know but under the the banner of data governance so this is how you then use the data assets this is how um you know um this these are the metrics that we're using you know provide them with the lineage provide them with the um data catalog and how they what they need to use um and then um i gave them accountability so um, each of the data assets I have um, assigned <laughs> work with them and they agreed on 
on who is the data owner of that particular data asset. So um, in a sense, they know their accountabilities and then I attach a dollar value to that particular data asset because say, for example, if a whole of their pricing um, or price book um, gets corrupted, then what will then happen? How much will it cost to actually get that back? You know, um, and then continuous data literacy um, through the monthly data governance meeting. So for me, like that, that is also a challenge because getting them on board to actually agree with the with the um, the operating model. Because it's like, oh, well, why would we do that? You know, um, isn't it? It's your responsibility. And, and for me, like, look, we're in IT. Um, we can take responsibility for this. But what if it doesn't, uh, you know, gets corrupted in the quality? So I, I actually also ask them to rate um, what is the rating for data quality for them for that particular data asset. And then they agreed. So th that's that's one thing. Um, another challenge is a um, the um, what do you call this? So I said adoption, and then the the other challenge will be the biases, you know, um, because they are not used to these things, or they have a certain explanation, uh, different explanation, or different type the way how they they actually. Um, uh, explain that that particular insight so that is a, a challenge for self-service because they said this is how we understood it from a commercial team finance says no that is not how we calculate board margin i'm sorry uh no but but this is the uh <laughs> this is how we we normally look at it from operation side of things so uh, that, that's that's a challenge Yes, definitely having having agreed and standardized definitions and having the, the right quality of data um, yeah. is, is critical and, and very difficult. Um, I like the fact that you have such an established operating model and having uh, the kind of the, the right governance and, and structures, the, the right ceremonies. Um, that, that sounds, you know, quite um, well established. What were some of the initial steps that, that you took in order to help um, um, impact the culture, influence the culture? Um, look, I, I started because of uh, EG Australia. So we are sort of a, uh, um, a startup, if you think about it here. Uh, here. And um, from transition, I started getting them in the right mindset of, okay, we're transitioning over from Woolworths um, um, and this are our data. So you need to understand the cost because transition programs cost is this much. So um, of course the um, equivalent of that particular data set after we transition over cost this much. So uh, I started that journey of sort of data literacy. And then every month oh, we have the PWG or project working group. I then talk about um, what is our data? I started looking through that. How can you help as the business owner, as the data owner? So that is where I um, I started that journey. 
And then I said, now we've transitioned over. Let's have a look a proper at a proper operating model. This is where I would want each um, departments to have their own champions. So they have their own champions. Um, so the data team is the um, the 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 hub where we provide the policies and and you know the guidelines, et cetera. We have champions and and I, I then partner with them. I partner with a particular um, uh, department first. I started with finance because finance is lots of data, um, and they are concerned about a lot of data from a financial, from a revenue perspective and expense perspective. So, so finance first and then work with commercial and then it expanded with um, the uh, citizen data analysts and citizen data scientists because we don't have enough um, uh, budget to actually have more people under IT. So the people uh, who are doing the analysis of the data scientists are the residents like within the department so that's nice. how i yeah um, that's, that's it. really good yes yeah. and, and at the same time well look it also helped that um i introduced a tool to them so mm -hmm. um just last year um we started um uh looking at a um a tool for um for the resident data scientists, because previously they just used Power BI. You know, yeah. um, we productionize a particular set of reports, and then um, they then copy that over to their own workspace, and they do the slicing and dicing. And then if whatever they wanted, they put it back for review on um, the uh, design forum to see like we would want this productionized, has it been tested? So it will go through the normal um, deployment process and then it will change whatever is in production. But whatever is in production, that is what everybody sees. Now with the um, with the data science part, this is where we then um, uh, introduce always a plug into the data IQ guys. So we're using data IQ. Yeah. Um, and it actually helps because it's easier for the users. So I got a good adoption rate for that because they it's easier drag and drop. There's recipes, yeah, and you don't they don't model. actually need to code in R, or they yeah. don't need to, you know, they they can easily do their analysis, create their workflows, and then come to the hub and say, "Can you productionize this?" That's a really interesting model, actually. Um, that. And, and Connor, I'll, I'll get your thoughts that for, uh, for some organizations, self-service uh, is, they see it as non-technical users being able to access the, the dashboards that they need, right? Um, and, uh, and then the analytics team is, is the respons one responsible for building the dashboards. Other times, it's more like what Arvi was mentioning, that business non-technical users can um, access all the tools build their own things and then choose to productionize. What um, what approaches have you seen work well or better than others and failures? And then we can talk and then I'll ask you about uh, measuring the return on that. Yeah, sure. Um, firstly, that was really interesting. Uh, we're not at, a mature, at, at that mature state. Um, I compare the market and I think it's important to, you know, to your question on, you know, different organizations consider self-service to be different things. It does depend on the maturity. Um, I'd compare the market, I would say the data culture and uh, literacy is fairly low across the organization. So the current state uh, by and large is 
Um, there are static reports built in Cognos uh, that have, you know, people... Remember Cognos? To, yeah, I remember that. I remember yeah, Cognos, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, there's a, I won't go into it, but there are a lot of issues with the content of them, um, as well as the process from a business user perspective on, you know, if they want anything new, uh, how do they get that? Um, in particular, you know, metrics are not modeled behind the scenes. They're just counted and, and um, brought up. So if someone wants to dive into something, they can't. Uh, so to me, you know, part of self-service is to, well, firstly, it's, it's very much on the uh, standard data management side of things. Um, get your data in shape. Um, work with your business teams to ensure that the definitions of Everything are uh, well documented and understood. What is the business process that generates those um, data elements? And how do you want to model that through um, to connect with your other sources? Um, that way you can then build your data models. Um, and now you can serve those data models to Power BI, which we're you know, trying to bring through, um, which means that now from the end user's perspective, uh, they can Firstly, have more confidence in what the data is. And secondly, be able to manipulate uh, what they're seeing much easier. So obviously you have just a standard interaction slice and dice, um, but also in a similar model, we're doing a hub and spoke approach to have um, champions placed within the business units, rolling that out slowly, uh, working with those champions to ensure that we understand how they're using the report. So not just what do they want to see, um, but in practice, what are they doing with it? Uh, because, you know, you might have a case where someone's like, yeah, cool, I want this data, but I'm just going to download it, put it in Excel and, you know, do something anyway. Well, I would rather understand that and then see, well, how do we operationalize that as well? Um, and then, of course, managing the governance side so that you can't access data that you shouldn't in the first place. Is it commercially sensitive? Is it personally identifiable? Um, so ensuring you have all your user groups um, enforced and, and so on. Um, bringing that through. We found, for example, good success uh, with, in, in Power BI, there's a feature released maybe last year where um, rather than having people edit the reports, you know, and have their own workspace to do that, uh, you can just have any viewer now just personalize visuals for just their own view, um, which means that they can have full access to the data model that sits behind it, change metrics, dimensions, uh, whatever they want, and the visualization style. Um, and then they can bookmark that. So then we can understand, well, what are they doing? First of all, empower them to understand how that works, but it's drag and drop, it's pretty straightforward. Um, and then if they're, what are they bookmarking? Let's operationalize that once again. Um, so for us, that would be an absolute massive uplift if we can get that as a standard practice. But of course, yeah, it does depend on who your users are. Some people are very not data literate at all. You know, I data science background, I'm always wanting to drill into things and explore it in many different ways. That is just not true for everyone, which is something I've had to learn. Uh, some people just want the number. Um, so that's fine. You know, making sure we're building things for the actual people that are using them is really important and then balancing those two things. Yeah, it's such a tough balance. I've, I've had um, in, in previous jobs, I have cases where we have embedded analytics, uh, parts of the analytics team within the business, and then kind of like let them let them collaborate closely and almost like run run free. And as a result, we got um, a proliferation of dashboards. There was always, as, as normally happens, there's always always more work for the analytics team than what can get 
than what um, can get delivered. And then when we looked at the usage of the of the dashboards and the data products, it was super low. Yeah, <laughs> super super low. And like literally like dashboards that some of them had basically never been used after the the dev process. Um, and um, and then like turning for like for us turning that around is was is probably quite been quite difficult to say like okay well let's educate people let's um so maybe i'll ask kate kate for um thoughts on, on situations like that you you guys are quite progressed in this space we're, we're a bit different so um we've had a data warehouse for about 20 years um and the, when i inherited the legacy legacy data warehouse in 2014 i found it on an aging solaris box and like, oh my god <laughs> anyway so um in 2018 we decided we had to shift away from our legacy platform so we were going to move into the cloud and we just didn't do a lift and shift we talked to every single user and found out what they were doing with the, our data and our reports and we built what they wanted and some of our reports have pretty much um, everybody in the organization looking at them. There's one called Stu 007 that everybody looks at, you know, so there's there was so we've got really high adoption. Um, we implemented uh, a SQL data warehouse in the cloud in 2018, 2019. So, sorry to interrupt. That's a really I love I love that point. Both I, I love that point and I love the name like the Stu 007. It's a student report. Yeah, so. exactly. But I love the 007. Um, so if, if it has such wide adoption throughout the business, then um, how how did that happen how um we, how did the report get had created a ba and that ba spoke to every single user and what we found with our old legacy data warehouse people were downloading data and cobbling it together into new excel spreadsheets and we said well we can automate that for you so we we've got this notion and we've been doing it ever since we're just talking to people and finding out where they're downloading data and cobbling it together we can say we can automate that for you and so we've just been doing rounds and rounds of that since 20, 2019. But the um, the hilarious thing is we implemented a SQL data data warehouse in the cloud, but uh, we're about mm. to deprecate that because it's legacy for us now. So we're moving to a data lake house with a view to moving towards a data mesh. And unlike the others, um, we don't have a data literacy problem. Everybody in our place has probably got an advanced degree and has had to do stats we've got a digital literacy problem. So they're not digital native for the most part. You know, the, the, the demographics skew a bit older and they're not looking, they're not tuned to looking at a digital output first. They want a piece of paper. They want someone to email them stuff. So we've had a digital literacy problem, not a data literacy, literacy problem. So interesting. Um, that's, that's, yeah, that is very interesting challenge. Um, we might do some of the Slido questions that they start, they start to pop up. Maybe RV, I'll ask you uh, Ben's question. How do we influence and motivate data silo owners to share for indirect enterprise outcomes? So there's, there's, there's often like a lot of data hogging that sometimes when, when the ownership of, of the data or the data asset, the data platform goes too far and people say, okay, this is, this is my system. Nobody else gets to see it. Um, I worked in large banks where we had a lot of that, a lot of that. And, and the data ownership meant it's locked in the vault and the key is thrown away <laughs> and nobody, nobody else has access to it. Um, how, um, how do you influence and motivate uh, people to go beyond that and open up? Uh, well, look, I go directly to the execs. So I, I, I talk to the, like, there is a list. There's a data asset register. 
and there is a register of all the the um, uh, reports as well who owns them and it's there is a process so it's very transparent like if you want access to the particular data then go to this particular um, data owner and ask permission and then cc me and we will work it out i, I know there are some um there are some uh, things that has happened like say for example pnc so people and culture because they're they're very you know um have their data close to their heart and they don't want to share it um but i then go straight to their you know the director of pnc and then explain get the other um the other executive for that particular division because um, one, uh, the fuel director wanted to have a sort of a labor model or um, just wanted to see um, uh, when uh, the time in time out, how many people they could actually um, uh, resource that particular store at a point in time, but they would need the time, the clock in clock out. Um, information and PNC because they own that data they don't want to share that because they said it's privacy or you can actually do it within the operational system you don't actually need to bring it out kind of thing so um, I got the two directors sitting down together and then um, explain what is the problem we're trying to solve can we solve it on another way or do you really need this data that that kind of is there is there money do you have budget for us to actually fix it so all of that conversation within 15 30 minutes and then there's some agreement if they wanted to share or not but in the end they did share because that is part of the imperatives of the organization they wanted to look at resource management hence um pnc shared so i just go up straight nice. to execs so yeah but, uh, but so yes that that uh, i can see that that's definitely uh, part, part of the strategy but bringing people together and having that discussion i think sometimes you know um some people might find that um uncomfortable or kind of uh, confronting bit, bit, yeah i was gonna say i was wondering whether it's too harsh of a word but yes definitely could be could be confronting so so i commend you for the um the courage to to take that on but the thing is how how important is it because the thing mm. I, I always get these calls early in the morning why don't i get we don't have this data yet yeah. you know um uh, I, I am resourcing this particular store 2.5 person um is it correct you know or is it not correct yeah. at this particular time um and i said to the uh the director of hr like what am i going to do so I'm in the middle. Exactly. Help me here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, that's really good. I, I like that. Um, I'm very glad that um, Calvin asked the um, the question that that I wanted to ask. I was I was um, thinking about bringing in the, the slide of questions. So thank you, Calvin, for um, for giving me the the option to ask this one. For Kate, how are you approaching the data literacy problem? Uh. Well, it's it's digital, digital. literacy, and um, so what we what we actually discovered is when we stopped our um, new data platform implementation, we thought the project was over, and we stopped our comms plan, obviously, because we had the comms plan as part of the project. And what we realised is we needed to keep up the comms, so we have a steady set of engagement in the staff newsletter. We go and 
meet with different business units. So we're constantly in communication with them. And I knew we'd had a really big breakthrough when one of um, the deputy vice chancellors who always wanted his staff member to be able to print it out and PDF it and email it to him, um, started looking at it on his phone. Uh, so, you know, he, he understood that he could finally he could look at it whenever he wanted to. So that was a breakthrough. Um, so it's just, just constant drip feeding of information about how you can get access. Very nice. Thank you. And uh, this one for, for Connor. Uh, the question is, how do you manage the trustworthy source and lineage for self-service? Uh, do you have stewards and data owners as business continuity becomes a risk with this? Um, yes, is a, a short answer. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, you know, uh, the previous question was around data silos. We probably don't have data silos because the areas tend to not want to own their data. They just want to be the consumer of the insights, however they're getting there. Um, so as we're going through the process of transformation in our data space, bringing on board business unit one at a time, um, part of that process is... Um, getting buy-in to say, you want these insights, you're going to have to come to the table, you're going to have to own the data, you have to help us define what, um, what this means, own the data quality, um, and, and things like that. So, so yes, yeah, so the business teams that are responsible for the products that generate the data are ultimately responsible for the quality of that data, um, which also goes into interpretation. So if there's a uncertainty in sort of what something is meant to mean. Um, ultimately, again, that we're sort of the facilitators of what the business defines for, um, you know, how a source should be used um, and what it's meant to mean. Nice. That's really good. Um, so one of the things that, that we heard when um, discussing self-service and getting sort of wide adoption was that um, there is... Um, that we need to lower the barriers for people to be able to access uh, the data and the tools that they need to be able to look after themselves and then have a process that, um, you know, kind of like um, development, uh, data products in development go into, into production. Um, beyond that, we also know that we have a talent scarcity in, in our space that is very difficult to, to get people uh, and that there's a lot of cost constraints happening at the moment. So what do you see as kind of, the way through in managing this, all these trade-offs um, across the board in order to create this self-service culture? What are, what are some, some ways through? Um, anyone that wants to go first, Connor? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, again, it's, it's the literacy side of things. And for us, um, it has been difficult to hire certain types of roles. And so we've taken an upskilling approach to certain things. So I think the hub and spoke method is a good starting point, but you need to have expertise in the hub for that to work, I think. Um, you have maybe your champion in the spoke who should be someone that uh, you know, isn't nominated on someone else's behalf. It's someone that is actually analytically minded and interested. They want to be involved. They want to get into the data a bit more. So we sort of roll out some initial reports that have you know, detailed models behind the scenes and it's just a starting point and we help evolve, evolve, evolve with the teams according to how they're using things, what else they want to see. Um, and through that naturally arises someone that is more keen than everyone else in sort of getting, uh, diving a little bit deeper. Um, and so that's a natural person to then champion that space. They understand the business area better than the hub might. Um, 
and they want to know more about the analytics side of things. So we work with them as a partnership. We say, yes, you're, a, you're the champion, go you. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna help you to look awesome for the rest of your team. Um, and then that becomes the go-to person for that business team. If there's a problem that that champion can't handle, they can come to the hub. Um, importantly, you know, I mentioned before the difficulty in uh, bottlenecks around ad hoc requests. So, and, and that personalization of visuals that occur, you completely wipe out most of those ad hoc requests because um, chances are uh, you can just answer your question by diving a little bit deeper in your data, pivoting it out in some particular way. And you mentioned, you know, build up of many reports that aren't used. You also avoid this issue as well um, because oftentimes it's just a one-off question and you don't need to go through a full process. You can just do a little bit of drag and drop, see what that is, you know, bookmark it if you like it, you want to come back to it later. Um, but there's no harm done if you never look at it again. Yeah. Exactly. And I well, think that's, that's where, sorry? Oh, sorry. I just wanted to yeah, answer that yes. question too. Now, um, I... I run lunch and learn sessions. So I run um, lunch and learn sessions and um, some training session, and then we record those training sessions and we put that in as a webinar for them to actually go in. Um, the champions actually help with uh, evangelizing. This is how to do it. it is, we, we provide them with the tools on how to help their citizen data analysts or citizen um, data scientists to actually create their own data products themselves. But um, the lunch and learn sessions and um, uh, what I call I am town halls, um, it actually um, helps a lot. We actually get um, people to register who wanted like while they're having lunch, might as well learn one um, function in, in Power BI, you know, or um, uh, sometimes it's specifically per division or per department. These are the list of your reports. We have a quick guide. This is the explanation of the metrics. How are you going to do this? This is a video of basic how to create a Power BI report. How do you understand that? So we are continuously working that through. And then on the monthly governance meeting, I still talk about, all right, we have a new data source. What can you do with this data source? Why is it important? Oh, we have some data issues. These are the data issues that we've encountered. What is the impact for you as, say, commercial impact for you in legal or impact for you? So they are aware of the um, data quality, how to use the system. And, and, and then yearly, I run, um, um, we call this uh, surveys where our uh, user surveys, where I get them to give us feedback on how we do things. And that's how I found out that lunch and learn sessions are, are a good thing for them that's while they're really eating. Good. Yeah, I like, I like the, the focus on increased literacy on getting people to be able to solve their problems. And I think the, the, other, the other aspect of that is um, on the tech side. So what type of tools can people use in order to lower those, those difficulty barriers or barriers to entry? Um, we have had some questions around, for example, like data lineage. And I know that there's um, some of the sponsors today are, are, have, have tools that can assist around data lineage and, and showing data cataloging definitions, et cetera. Um, RV mentioned data eco as a platform where people can collaborate. Uh, also, that a robot helps on the ML side, and and it's uh, 
really accessible ways for people to start to solve these problems. So I definitely encourage you to, to speak to, um, to the sponsors outside. And um, I do want to ask you about measuring ROI. And then we also have um, some couple good good questions in there. So um, let's go with that question for Kate first, actually. So Kate says, understanding our business, sorry, Kate, business understanding become user and user's interpretation and self-service because becomes personalized to one person. How do you deal with this? We were super lucky. It was accidental, but I claim credit for it now. Um, we did data governance first. We had, I discovered that IT had got three or four separate consultants' reports to review all the data warehouses with a view to telling us that they were terrible. And they said, the data warehouse is fine. You need to do data governance. And we had all these reports. And I was like, well, we've paid for this advice. Why don't we do it? So we did data governance first, and we started with business glossaries. So we got the... The data controllers, that's what we call our data owners, um, in the business established, and then we got the data stewards, and then we started defining the business uh, glossaries. And from there, then we then we did define the report specifications. So that's we did that first before we built the new platform. So that's not a problem for us because luckily we started with data governance so that that's one of the recommendations i often make to people nobody ever does data governance first do it first it's really good easy i really like that approach actually yeah that's really good um okay we have a few seconds left um to close out anyone would like to take the roi question i'll take the roi question. yeah okay great you can take it it's all right if you want I can give a quick one. I'd say uh, you've got two forms. You've got qualitative and quantitative. Mm -hmm. On the qualitative side, I think, you know, second part of that culture piece is what are the carrots? Why are people trying to, um, why should they start using these reports and upskilling? Um, and I think celebrating the wins and understanding that business unit, working with that champion to see how they're using the data and then uh, yelling about it, making noise about it and say, you know, might be hard to quantify sometimes, like, what that means in dollar figures, but for you know many executives, um, understanding oh that's getting used a lot. We know about it because it's being talked about a lot. Everyone loves it. Uh, I think is a qualitative form of um, of value. On the quantitative side, I've seen an interesting thing where we have we've talked a lot in this conference about tying things back to the business value of a of doing anything. Um, so if a, if a business team wants some new report and maybe there's going to take some effort to do the modeling and so on, why do they want it? What's it going to do? So we've got one that's, you know, should be providing extra value to our partners and that should, the business team has actually got a uh, KPI to meet around uplift in sort of the partner engagement related space. Um, what portion of that is going to be met by improved insights and analytics? Uh, and then that gets tied back as a dollar figure um, to those reports. Um, and, and exactly how that's tied back is a bit of a conversation between that commercial team and the, the data team. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another approach to try to get a, a dollar figure on a nebulous uh, concept sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, thank you very much to our panelists. Um, Kate, Connor, Arvi, thank you so much. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast 
to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.